joined by Clayton Safey of the Wolverine. And Clayton, on Friday night, the expected happened. Sharon Moore is now Michigan's new head coach. And he's talked and Ward Manuel's talked. And does it feel, it's obviously not Jim Harbaugh, but does it feel as close to the Jim Harbaugh regime as it's going to get? Yeah, it feels like a, a continuation for sure. I mean, and, and also, too, part of Jim Harbaugh's legacy, I think, is grooming Sharon Moore, you know, the next guy to take over. And obviously he had Jim Harbaugh's endorsement. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see what this era is. I mean, clearly Sharon Moore has his own personality and he'll put his own stamp on the program. But uh, he said on Saturday morning at his introductory press conference, he wants to keep the philosophy the same, not only on both sides of the ball, but also within the program. You know, We're not satisfied with victories of the past, but we're hungry for future success. We want to attack every day as we're walking to the building as, as if it's the Monday of the national title game. All hands on deck. We want to make sure that we're in the best position that we can compete on and off the field. We will work extremely hard every day to represent this university, this program, this city, this state, and attack every, every day as hard as we can. Physicality, playing Michigan football. Uh, he's an offensive lineman and an offensive line coach you know he's going to want to run the ball. You know he's going to you know, want to have a really good offensive line and, and defensive line, win in the trenches. So it's going to be similar. Um, and, you know, he said he wants to take recruiting to another level. Uh, he's going to be involved with, you know, helping NIL get a boost there. So, you know, it, things are going to be different. He's going to be aggressive. He said he wants to be aggressive in every area of the program. Uh, so there's going to be changes. But at the same time, this is, uh, you know, a continuation of what Michigan has built. And by the way, as you know, Andy, Sharon Moore helped build a lot of uh, build a lot yeah. of what Michigan has become anyway. So that's a big part of this as well. That's the thing. It feels like the identity that they have now began to get established when he got moved from being the tight ends coach to being the offensive line coach. Now he wasn't yeah. elevated to offensive coordinator quite yet, but it feels like that is when this sort of hard nosed, really heavy, run heavy identity started to get forged. Yeah, no doubt. And really, it was Jim Harbaugh kind of going back to his roots as well and something that I think suited Sharon Moore really well. And, and at that point, you know, Jim Harbaugh replaced six out of 10 assistant coaches. Sharon Moore was one of the four that was held over, along with Jay Harbaugh and a couple others. Uh, one of the reasons why he was held over is because of the relationships he has with the players. He's a great recruiter, um, you know, very energetic on the younger side. We all know Michigan got a little bit younger back in, in 2021. Uh, but then also elevating him, I, I think Jim Harbaugh knew at some point he wanted to make him the offensive line coach, and it was the right time. Um, and, you know, then they go back to this identity that we've seen kind of the pendulum swing back a little bit more in college football. I mean, back in 2017, when uh, Haskins comes in that Michigan-Ohio State game for JT Barrett and starts throwing all over him, to me, that was the moment in the Big Ten, at least, when Ohio State took that step to, you know, pass heavy uh, we all know you know they they could spread it out already but you know the pendulum kind of swung back when Jim Harbaugh made a lot of those moves back in 2021 and then at the end of the season in 2023 Michigan's the toughest team with the best linemen on both sides and and again like we said Sharon Moore was a big part of that so I think that's going to be Michigan's identity moving forward and uh you know when you look back at the journey of Sharon Moore it's been pretty incredible to watch he's he's moved up quickly this is only the third place he's been as an uh, assistant coach and then now as the head coach, but he's been here longer than anywhere. And he's, you know, as Michigan as any of the other guys that are going to be 
moving this program forward. So on Thursday's show, we talked to Anthony Broom, your colleague at the at the Wolverine, and he was going over a three-point plan of what Sharon Moore would need to do to be successful right away. One of those is out the window. Jesse Minter, which we kind of thought was going to happen. He's going to follow Jim Harbaugh as a defensive coordinator for the Chargers. So what does Sharon Moore do now in terms of filling that spot? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, you know, I think he's going to probably look at some people with Ravens ties. Surprise, surprise. And just kind of keep that pipeline going. It's kind of funny, too, because. Uh, you know, now that Jim Harbaugh wants to make Los Angeles, Michigan West, as he said, uh, you know, with kind of a pipeline there, Sharon said, we have two pipelines to the NFL now. And I think that could benefit them not only with some of their guys getting drafted or picked it up, you know, as undrafted free agents or even guys that have already been in the league and, and what have you. But it's also going to help, as we've seen with uh, and as you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, kind of that that internship program as well. And it benefits both sides. It benefited the Ravens with uh, Mike McDonald after he kind of had a tryout for a year with Michigan and it benefited Michigan getting him for a year and then Jesse Minter for two. So I think stuff like that's going to continue. So people with Ravens ties uh, to look for Zach Orr is one name that, um, you know, people are kind of circling as well. And then Clint Hurt, a guy who was the defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks, that staff obviously getting revamped there with a new head coach coming in at some point. And uh, Sharon Moore worked with him at Louisville. So they have ties there. But I do think they want to keep the system pretty similar, regardless of whether or not they get somebody who has worked either with Minter, McDonald, or with the Ravens. So that's going to be really interesting as they move forward here. And Andy, you and I had talked, uh, you know, I think off air about a month ago or two that, you know, on the offensive side, is he going to call plays as a head coach when that time comes? Sounds like he's not going to. So that's going to be another big hire as well. Yeah, that and that's an interesting decision. And you look at, you know, right across the rivalry, Ryan Day just deciding he doesn't want to call plays anymore. You've seen it around college football. Gus Malzahn did it before this past season. Eli Drinkwitz decided to, to stop calling plays before this past season. And it is there's a lot to get your arms around as a, as a head coach. But I, I think that's interesting with Sharon Moore because the, the first taste of him as a head coach we got, he was calling the plays in those games. And he was coaching the O-line. Exactly. Exactly. So it is. Uh, may, maybe he's he he will be uh refreshed. Maybe less workload than uh than at the end of last season. But but I do think that's interesting, and it does allow him to kind of put a stamp on that program. You mentioned Clint Hurt. Interesting thing about him, you don't have to worry about is this can this guy recruit? Longtime college assistant before he went to the Seahawks with Louisville and with Miami, and so. That's a guy who uh, who has some very good recruiting ties as well. Uh, you mentioned Sharon Moore and wanting to kind of supercharge the recruiting. And I think that's interesting because Michigan sort of, I think, set a new blueprint for how you can win a national title where you mix in some five stars and then some guys you developed and some four stars. But it sounds like Sharon Moore would like to recruit in the more Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Ryan Day type vein. Yeah, I think so. And even maybe Dan Lanning as well, uh, with just the, the buzz that Oregon has created. Obviously, NIL has played a factor in that. And Sharon Moore said he's going to be heavily involved. And he's already had this is Saturday morning. He was hired Friday night at 7.01 p.m. or whatever it was. He said he had already had NIL you know, conversations and everything uh, as we talked to him on Saturday morning. So I think that's going to be a factor. But here's a here's the thing, you know. One, Michigan did kind of create this different blueprint on how to win a national championship, but Michigan also had Jim Harbaugh and a fantastic staff. Uh, you know, not every 
coaching staff around the country is going to have that luxury to have somebody uh, like that heading your program and, and the way they develop, the way they run the program. And Sharon Moore is not Jim Harbaugh. So I think, yeah, to win, they're probably going to have to recruit at a little bit of a higher level. Uh, and I think Sharon Moore understands that. And either way, I think he would want to recruit at a higher level. Um, so, yeah, he, he talked about being the face of the program on the recruiting trail as a head coach recruiter, you know, in terms of really getting on the road, really getting to connect with these kids. Uh, because in Harbaugh, Harbaugh, the last few years, he wasn't climbing as many trees and, uh, and, you know, sleeping <laughs> sleepovers. Over yeah. Yeah. Doing the sleepovers as much. Um, you know, he was still involved, did a lot of satellite camps when they could. Uh, but I think Sharon Moore wants to, you know, kind of, I think supercharge is a great way to put it the way you said it. I think he wants to take it to that next level, as he said, and, you know, that's going to be something that he's really good at. People forget uh, because so early on in his tenure when he was tight ends coach, he was their ace recruiter. Like he was also in on all the the top recruitments that Michigan or top recruits Michigan was going after, regardless of position, regardless of area of the country. He did hone in on the Midwest when he was tight ends coach, took a little bit of a step back in that area once he became O-line coach and O-coordinator, and then obviously this past year having to serve as interim head coach for four games. But I expect him to be really involved as a head coach recruiter as the face of this program, and I think that could give them a, a, a good advantage as they try to land some of these higher-rated guys that they haven't been able to get the last couple of years. Well, and that probably explains the abdicating of, of play-calling duties and game-planning duties if, if that is going to be one of your primary focuses and you want to be the face of the program in recruiting. Uh, you know, we, we talk about Nick Saban. He was Alabama's most aggressive recruiter. He was their closer. Right. The you know the top fifteen guys on the board, those are his guys. And mm -hmm. so I, I would imagine that that's something Sharon Moore wants to do. Speaking of recruiting, uh, we got to talk about Mr. Herbert. And I know probably the casual fan thinks when I tell you Mr. Herbert, we're talking about Justin Herbert, Jim Harbaugh's right. quarterback with the Chargers. No, we're talking about Ben Herbert, the strength coach at Michigan. What are the chances that Sharon Moore can keep him around? Yeah, so I think initially and, and probably still happening, you know, the buzz was that Jim Harbaugh is going to try to take Ben Herbert with him, uh, Michigan strength coach, who is one of two in the country who makes over a million dollars now. He's been that valuable to this program. Jim Harbaugh tried to nominate him for the Broyles Award a couple of years ago. The Broyles Award said, no, you can't and do that. And he should have won it. He should have won it, too. Should've. Right, absolutely. And so, but the Broyles Award came back and said, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. But that's how much he means to Jim Harbaugh and this program and, you know, the players and everything else. Now, from what we've heard, there's a strong chance that that Sharon Moore is going to be able to retain Ben Herbert and keep him in. He said yesterday that he's very encouraged. We've also spoken to people around the program who it sounds like that's the way that, that things are leaning at this point. And a big clue as well would be Sharon Moore before he addressed the team on Saturday morning for the first time as Michigan's head coach, the guy who addressed the team. Uh, before him was Ben Herbert, the guy who was leading the workout before that was Ben Herbert. And it, and it was fitting the first team meeting was right in the middle of the weight room there with with Herb and Sharon. So uh, I, I think that that's going to happen most likely. And that is huge for Michigan. He's also associate head coach. I mean, Jim Harbaugh tried to give him like every title he possibly could because he just loves the dude. But everybody loves the dude, including Sharon Moore. And I think they understand how important it is to keep him. Well, as a good strength coach is the second most important staff member on any staff and right. you're absolutely right and and the fact the fact that they had a workout before <laughs> the first meeting with him as head coach like it was I like during yeah <laughs> everybody stop lifting i'm here you know me continue lifting was that is that the meeting right there 
it's it seems like this is just while we're on that topic too because you know i think people are starting to learn who sharon moore is a lot of us who've covered him you know have gotten to know him a little bit and and you know especially in a media setting sharon moore is a very lovable guy he, he has a smile on his face he's young he's energetic he connects with the kids sharon moore is also a hard ass um and you'll see that in his speech we'll be smart tough dependable relentless enthusiastic and do that at a championship level with a championship team that loves football plays with a passion for the game plays for each other plays for that wing talent and you know he said the offensive linemen one day they hate him one day they love him but all he cares about is if they respect him so this is not going to be a guy that's a pushover by any means uh he's kind of strike he strikes that balance that jim harbaugh was able to when jim harbaugh really hit his sweet spot in his back half of his career at michigan where he was able to connect with the kids have that relationship, be the funny, quirky guy, you know, the guy who's doing squats in the weight room with his khakis on, but also the guy that's going to light into him. Like, so, and you need to have that in this day and age. He's trying to keep his roster intact right now, but he also said in that speech, like, you know, pretty much get out if you don't want to work hard and work at a championship level. So I think they're going to keep that aspect of this thing going where he's going to have that relationship with these guys. It's important, especially with NIL transfer portal, but he's going to, he's going to get on him as well. Well, it makes, I mean, this, explains why Jim Harbaugh ID'd him because I, I would imagine Jim Harbaugh saw a lot of, of himself in Sharon Moore. Like one one guy's a quarterback, one guy's an offensive lineman, but they, they really do seem cut from the same cloth in terms of how they manage players. You know how Sharon won Jim over? He told the story at his presser yesterday. His, his interview when he was at Central Michigan comes down to Ann Arbor for his interview for the tight ends coach position. He said the first thing he did was pulled out a chair and started showing them how, like his run block technique. I took a chair out and I showed how to run block him. All right, uh, obviously you guys know coach. I mean, he was right there. He got up, he pulled, he tightened his belt. He wanted me to run block him. He pulled another guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and base drive him, down block him. I'm like, I'm gonna knock him out if I do that. <laughs> um, so it was, it was phenomenal. It was like a five hour meeting. And uh, then we went into film and uh, he's like, yeah, you wanna spend the night? <laughs> Coach, I came with a suit. He said, like, yeah, we'll go downstairs, get you some gear. It'll be great. I was like, sure. <laughs> he spent the night. They offered him the job in the morning, and the rest was history. But uh, So, yes, Andy, they are cut from the same cloth. <laughs> that is amazing. Speaking of Jim Harbaugh, he is in Baltimore supporting Brother John in the AFC Championship game. Before that game, he was interviewed by CBS, and uh, got asked about leaving Michigan, and the answer I thought was really telling. He said, there's only one Lombardi trophy, and this is something that, that you and I have talked about a bunch over the last few months, but how how hard was the pull of the idea of winning that Super Bowl that, that eluded him the first time around? Yeah, and I wonder, even when he took the job back in December of 2014, if in the back of his head, like it was in the back of many people's minds, that at some point he was going to go back and chase a Super Bowl. Now, I don't think, you know, he's a guy that lives in the moment. I don't think that was kind of, you know, some all he thought about over the last nine years or anything else. But I do think the last few years when they've started to have a little bit more success, he was drawing a little bit of interest from the NFL, that that kind of intrigued him. And he wanted to go two years ago. I think he didn't want to go as much last year because of the team he had coming back. what he had, had yeah. Winning, yeah, they end up winning the national championship. And now, you know, he's a builder. You wrote a great column about this after he left. And, and I was thinking the same thing where you go back to what he said. He's a construction guy. He's not an architect, but he's a builder. And there's some dirt now in Los Angeles for him to uh, to use to go build. Uh, but he also 
you know, he almost won the, the Super Bowl and almost got there as a player. He almost won it against his brother in 2012 as a coach. He said, you know, the uh, what did he say? The sand in the hourglass, you know, there or something like that. Like basically, yeah, so there's only so much sand in the hourglass. Exactly. Yes. He's six <laughs> years old. So you're, you're exactly right. And, yeah. you know, it, it was a it was an incredible run. And it sounds like this worked out exactly as he would have hoped with Sharon Moore taking over because it feels like that's who he wanted running the program. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think he made that very clear from what Ward Manuel said on, on Saturday that uh, when he called to tell him that, hey, I'm, I'm taking the Chargers job and, and everything else, uh, you know, it was, hey, Sharon Moore is my pick. He also stood in front of the, the team. Jim Harbaugh flew back to Ann Arbor for his final team meeting, which lasted quite a while, I guess, and was pretty emotional on, on Friday. And he said there's nobody better to lead the team than Sharon Moore. Uh, he made that clear in other interviews that he, he had done. And obviously Michigan wrapped it up pretty quickly and and just about exactly 48 hours. So yes, I think Jim Harbaugh made it clear. And Andy, I think that he was kind of hinting at this over the last really year that he wanted Sharon Moore to, to be a guy that eventually runs this Michigan program. So that's important, um, you know, that, that he has that endorsement. That's not a small thing. And I think that's going to help the roster stay intact. I think that's going to help really the ideas down the road. I mean, Jim Harbaugh leaves on incredibly good terms here. So uh, maybe Michigan West. You got Michigan West in L.A. You got Michigan East in Baltimore. Hell, maybe even Charlotte, you know, with uh, with Biff Pogey down there. So you got some yeah. – they're starting to kind of take over the, uh, the country here, the map. Dueling internship programs and right. feeder systems for defensive coordinators. And, yeah, they, they got it all. And I appreciate Michigan doing this quick. I got a little tired of going on radio shows and people out. Who, who who else are they going to look at? Who are they going to interview? I'm like, they're going to hire Sharon Moore. Yeah. And that it's shuts not, down the radio yeah. interview real quick. Right. They, that's not the answer they want to hear because they want to talk about this guy or that guy. But that's that's what was going to happen. That's always what was going to happen. And uh, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like Sharon Moore hit the ground running. So all of the because there was worry about the recruiting process, because, you know, when Jim Harbaugh is looking at NFL jobs, it's hard. Even even if you know Sharon Moore is going to be the guy, it's very hard if you're Sharon Moore to say, I'm definitely going to be the guy. Come to a junior day. Let's do all. Now they can do all that stuff. Yeah, and they have, I think, a week before the dead period, at least. And I think that's why they wanted to get this, like, let's get the press conference out of the way. Let's get you to the basketball game. And by the way, he was there with a bunch of the top players. He's trying to keep them as close as, to him as possible. Uh, and he let Donovan Edwards talk, naturally, as one would, uh, to the <laughs> Michigan crowd there. But he wanted to get that day out of the way. And I think he wanted to make sure he could – get all the uh you know first orders of business out of the way which is staff you know because that helps with recruiting too you got to announce these guys make sure you retain all the guys including ben herbert you got to make sure guys don't go in the portal uh which by the way kind of helps it's weird because the timing for washington and alabama wasn't great but now that semesters are kind of you know three four weeks underway it might help michigan in that regard yeah. at least until the spring portal period so that's going to be big and then then you really can you know kind of continue to sell them throughout spring ball and during winter workouts but yeah, he's got a lot on his plate immediately, uh, but he feels like he's got the energy and in, in the uh, you know just just the motivation to really hit the ground running here. Well, it'll be fascinating to see. And yeah, the the guys that are already there, they're in classes, they're hanging around for the spring semester. May as well do spring ball. And yeah, it, it probably does put a dent in who might go into the portal. Although I'm sure. There are plenty of people who are uh, in, in those dudes' ears because there's a lot of good players at Michigan. But we shall see. New head coach, Clayton Safey. Sounds like uh, 
new boss, almost the same as the old boss. Yeah, not going to be too uh, too different. It's going to be fun though, for sure. Appreciate it, Clayton. Yep. We are joined now by the great Pete Nakos. Who, Pete? Have you gotten to breathe a little bit this weekend? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, our good friend of the the Andy Staple Show, JD Piquel, made a comment on Twitter yesterday. He said, "Oh, we finally have some time from the portal to breathe." I'm like, "Don't you dare jinx it!" Like, I like walked out of the apartment yesterday. Big day for me. Yes, left the laptop here for like an hour. Yeah, big day. What does what does sunshine look like? What was that like? Oh, it rained. So. But yeah, of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah, the, the only really, you know, kind of bigish news out of the transfer portal was Jabbar Muhammad from Washington committing to Oregon. And that's something that's kind of feels like it's been in the works for a couple of weeks. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about Jabbar Muhammad is, is when he went in the portal um, right after uh, Kalen DeBoer took the Alabama job, Texas and Oregon made in-home visits. Um, and right after that, had a source I really trust reach out to me and say, like, this is going to be organs to watch. Would be very surprised if he went elsewhere. And I reported that throughout his recruitment and obviously took the official visits to Texas and Alabama. And the whole time I was continued to be being told that Oregon was going to be the school to watch. And then he made the official visit this weekend as Justin Hopkins re reported from Scoop Duck. And, uh, and then, yeah, he committed. And it, it's a, Another just huge pickup for Dan Lanning in the portal, especially in that secondary. Yeah, and th that's something that that he did last year where he really upgraded the talent in the secondary, and you saw it paid dividends pretty quickly. And yeah. it, it does seem like he he just he knows where he wants his talent level. He's not quite there yet. And and but as they move into the Big Ten, I would imagine they feel pretty comfortable where they're at. If I am in Eugene right now in the Oregon facility, and I'm Dan Lanning. I feel like we have a, a great roster that has one of the best chances of any team in the Big Ten to win the league in our in our first year, um, making that jump. And and I would have to think that it's going to be college football playoff or bust for the Ducks. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, Sharon Moore is named the head coach at Michigan, and mm -hmm. even though Jim Harbaugh left Wednesday night, so the the portal's been open for several days. No Michigan players in there yet. No Michigan players in there yet. I think that uh, Michigan got who they wanted, got who the roster wanted, and probably got the guy who is is really going to step in and, and, and do a good job in Ann Arbor, just knowing the infrastructure and how it's all uh, figured out. The one comment I will make about the transfer portal is like, if it, I would, if I, if a Michigan player probably would wait to the spring, I would have to right. bet. Um, just they're in because they're classes be, and have been yeah, for weeks. Yeah. The academic calendar is not doing any of those players' favors right now. So not ruling it out that the Sharon Moore hire, like, maybe changed minds. I'm just saying that I won't be surprised if maybe a Michigan player who was thinking of going in would, would prefer to go in the spring just because of the academic calendar. Yeah, and look, we've seen it with Sharon Moore coming in to replace Jim Harbaugh. If we would assume they're going to act kind of the same way they've acted the past few years, which means Michigan's probably going to pick up a few more post spring. Cause that was something they've done really well each yep. of the last two years. Yeah. The Wolverines have kind of been on pause, right. With like Harbaugh trying to figure out what he's going to do. And um, they didn't have a junior day. They didn't really get overly aggressive in the portal. Um, I think part of that was obviously winning a national championship, but um, obviously going to some spots to fill and, Obviously, the biggest one that we're all going to be looking 
uh, to his quarterback and, and what Sharon Moore decides to do in his first year at that position. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some guys on the roster. He can check them out in the spring. And then if, uh, if none are satisfactory, then you, uh, you put up the old help wanted sign and, and see who hops yeah. in. Although Auburn yeah. probably has that help wanted sign up too. So there, there are a few, few spots where there, there may be some job openings. Yeah, I definitely think there are a few schools, including Auburn and Michigan, that are definitely going to be in the quarterback hunt. And uh, the funny thing about the spring, too, Andy, and you know this, is like a team might enter spring ball feeling really good about a quarterback, and then they watch how practice and, and the spring game goes, and they might rush to the portal. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be, as you keep telling us, the spring portal is going to be wilder than it was in the past couple of years. I, I, I'm very intrigued to see how all of that shakes out. But while we've got a moment to breathe here, let's talk about some of these rosters coming out of the winter portal window. Who can we say are you? We, we just mentioned Oregon as one of the bigger winners mm. of that with Jabbar Muhammad just now, Dylan Gabriel, obviously the, the biggest name that they got out of the portal. But who are some of the other teams that, that really did upgrade their rosters? You know, I think uh, the ones that really come to mind right off the bat is obviously Louisville has done everything they needed to do to be right back in the ACC championship mix. Um, yet again, Deion Sanders revamps the, the roster uh, through the transfer portal at Colorado. Ole Miss probably puts together one of the more overall talented classes I think we've seen in recent memory, obviously led by Walter Nolan. Um, you can't overshadow Ohio State and what they've done with Julian Sane, Caleb Downs, Will Howard, Clinchon Judkins. Um, and then a couple uh, dark horses, too. Like, I really like what Cal did. They brought in Mikey Matthews and, and uh, a really talented offensive lineman from Temple. Um, Florida State, yet again, brings in some Alabama players who, who could really be a big-time um, upgrade for the Seminoles. So, yeah, a lot of teams have impressed. Um, those are just some off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Yeah, the Florida State one's interesting because uh, it seemed like the, the most popular place for them to go the last couple of years was South Carolina. But it seems mm -hmm. like Tuscaloosa was the uh, – the spot that they were drawing from the most this time around. Uh, yeah. Another couple guys you, you mentioned like Mikey Matthews going to Cal. I think that that's a really interesting one. Um, MJ Morris going to Maryland. Mm. I think that's an interesting one from NC state. So uh, MJ Morris's situation was he played as a true freshman at NC state, got yeah. hurt. And then they, they recruit Brennan Armstrong kind of over him and say, Brennan's the starter. And so MJ was going to red shirt. And then they wind up not being pleased with Brennan playing MJ. And then he goes three and one of the starter and was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and redshirt and then I'm out. Yeah. And so he is now replacing Talia Tonga by at Maryland. I hmm. I'm, I'm very intrigued with what he can do with, uh, with Mike Loxley's crew. Yeah, that's a great point. The other ones that kind of jumped out to me too, is like everyone kind of jumps to like the Ole Misses and Colorado's, but yet again, Steve Sarkeesian goes to the transfer portal and gets yeah. exactly who he wants. He completely retools the wide receiver room. We'll have to see how that kind of plays out. But uh, just on paper, it seems like uh, Steve Sarkeesian did everything they needed to do going into the SEC. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's been, he worked at Alabama recently enough to kind of know that roster really well. I uh, got Isaiah Bond, but also got Amari Nyblack, the tight end, who I think is, is has a chance to do some some JT Sanders type things at yes. Texas, which yeah. it, it feels like that's a that's a pretty easy comparison right there. I completely agree. The other one um, that I am probably more intrigued by and want to see how it plays out is, is South Carolina brought in a really big class of, of transfer portal um, players. And, and the one that obviously jumps out to me is 
how does the quarterback position kind of shuffle out, right? They have a really talented freshman, Lenore Sellers, and then they bring in Robbie Ashford, who's definitely had some bumps along the way. Which way does Shane Beamer go? And 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 what could really be a defining year of his tenure with the Gamecocks? Yeah, yeah, because Spencer Rattler is gone and you have to and it sounds like I mean that's basically deciding what you what you want your offense to be when you pick yeah. between those guys. Because we've seen Ashford at Oregon and at Auburn. We know we know what he is. And then with yeah. sellers, we, we'll get a chance to see that. And you know, they've got some some younger talent that they've been kind of bringing along. So yeah. it's 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 interesting. So Pete, I don't think I'm gonna bring you in for this game, but we will be playing uh, whose team is it anyway? I think starting in spring ball, where we we make someone guess who plays for who now. Uh, I think you you probably are a ringer in that game. But if there are prizes, though, I want in. Okay, all right. Well, I we'll uh we'll come up with some. We'll definitely have to come with some gift cards or something like that. We definitely like like a Buffalo Wild Wings <laughs> gift card for sure. But yeah, I it is it is interesting, and this is this is the thing about the transfer portal and people. I think old school college football fans don't like the fact that there's not as much continuity, but I do get the sense that at least with some fan bases, it gives them a bigger sense of hope in the off season. If they did not have the kind of season they wanted the year before. Yeah. I think you're spot on there that um, maybe you, you, it's, it's a team that only won three or four games. So all of a sudden you're like, Oh wow. Like I can review tape of 20 players. If I'm like a football junkie and want to see how it's all going to come together. And, um, the college reporter in me also says that because of the transfer portal, in my opinion, I think athletes have, have better brands now because they have more name recognition if they're going from school to school. And um, I think that's kind of the part of NFL, NFL free agency that seeps into the college college game now. Well, the other piece that I think is it, it makes and we saw this with Alabama and the, and the struggles with the snap. We saw it with Georgia banged up at receiver there at the end of the season. I feel like it's taken the top, you know, the the, the older depth away from it. Because yeah. I just mentioned Florida State, you know, taking, what are they, five different Alabama players. And these are not guys, like, these were not guys who were starting in Alabama. That's yeah. exactly right. But are they good enough to start at Florida State? Yeah. Very likely. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, the, the other school that I was going to mention um, that has all of a sudden slipped my memory, but I'm going to go back to it is um, interested to see how Miami does. Right. Uh, yes. Cam, yeah. Right. Cam, Cam Ward, Ward goes there. Uh, all of a sudden, like you talk to people in, in South beach and like one of the biggest takeaways from this past season was like, Hey, like Tyler Van Dyke maybe just isn't the best guy for what we want and, and feel like that may have held us back in moments and things. And obviously they go in and un- get the number one ranked quarterback, I believe, in, in the on three transfer portal rankings. I think Julian saying messed up those rankings, but still the point is one of the top <laughs> quarterbacks in the portal. Uh, I don't consider that- Julian saying a transfer. I, I know we we had an <laughs> like an official ruling on that last week where we said the, the you know signee in, in immediately in the portal does not count as a portal guy <laughs> anymore. Yeah. So, but, but, so, but yeah, Cam Ward and Mario Cristobal's offense, um, with a, a really good recruiting class and, and some intriguing transfers next to them. Does Miami make the jump and, and compete with Florida State and Clemson and Syracuse now for an ACC title? Well, and Shannon Dawson being there, that he runs an offense that's really similar to what Cam Ward ran at Incarnate Word and at Washington State. So he, he should be able to pick it up pretty quickly. And I, I the one thing, and, and I know people get caught up with the transfer QBs, 
you got to remember though, there, there will be QBs on the roster and either because of injuries and they have to come in or because they play better. Like do not count out Emory Williams in this situation mm. because they thought at the end of last season that he might be the guy and he gets hurt in the Florida state game. I think it was broken collarbone. So he's going to be healthy at some point. And I do think that helps a lot. Now, Emory Williams is in his second year as a college player. If they feel like Cam Ward can give them a bridge to, and then ease Emory into the starting job, that would work too. But yeah. I, I would not be shocked if he's still there. And then let's we'll, we'll stick in the ACC because we we talked about Florida State. We didn't mention DJU. Like that's one of the more yeah. fascinating situations. He's the starter at Clemson for two seasons. He goes to Oregon State, does well there. Obviously, everything happened with the Pac-12 that happened. Right. He has one more year, and now he's in Tallahassee, and he's got to play against Clemson on October 5th. I know. I know. And going elsewhere, in the, like uh, you were just saying that, I was like, oh, my gosh, like Riley Leonard also transferred. Like That yes. is how long and, this entire process And starts against his former coach on day one. Yes. Because they, yes. they Notre Dame plays Texas A&M. So Riley Leonard played for Duke for Mike Elko. And now Mike Elko will be the head coach of the team that plays against Riley Leonard's Notre Dame team on day one. <laughs> it's only January 28th. And like, it's the, t the two months that it passed seems like three years to me. Like it's been incredible. <laughs> it does. And it also seems like what, what this is heading toward is a season that isn't going to feel or look like anything we've ever seen before. And yeah. that's what I, I had a really interesting mailbag segment last week where people were asking me which teams would be the most improved. And it really gave me a chance to dive into the schedules. I don't think people are ready for the kind of variability that these mm. new big 10 and sec schedules are going to bring. Some teams got great draws. Some teams. Oof, yeah. Yeah. Right, doesn't doesn't Florida have a really tough go of it? Uh, I know Florida has the toughest one, been, probably. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. but you know who else has a really brutal Ohio State? No, not Ohio State. No? They got a good. Oh, one. I thought Michigan. I you said Ohio. Okay. Yeah, yeah no. Ohio State. State's is not bad. Michigan's is hard, and I don't yes. like Oregon's very much either. It is. Um, it's going to be really interesting too, like seeing like the Big Ten teams have to go from like West Coast back home and things like that for the first mm -hmm. time and. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people have tried to report on it, but like, what does that schedule look like? And is there actually going to be like impacts on how games play out and things like that? Like we're yeah, going to find and, that and out now. The PAC 12 had a really interesting, you know, when, when you played on a, when you played a road game on a Friday night or you played a road game on a Saturday and then had to play a road game on a Friday, how that mm -hmm. always, like, it was a pretty consistent, you lost when that happened. Yeah. So, um, that is is another thing that that it, we're going to have to see how that works because yeah with some of that cross country travel it it can get pretty hairy so uh very different world that we're moving into but Pete you may have a, a couple weeks before everything goes crazy again yeah just a couple weeks i uh i have april already circled on the calendar and and ready to jump back into that hey listen this is fine we got the meat of college basketball we got march madness and then transfer madness again yeah and 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 basketball and football are gonna coincide. It's gonna be fun. Oh yeah, yeah. You can call like you can call Joe Tipton and and yeah, be like, all right, who's who's transferring in, in your sport? So, yeah, this is, yeah, yeah it, it's gonna it's gonna be wild. But Pete, thank you so much, and it's it's been a lot of fun. We will still be re regularly checking in, even though your head's not about to explode at all times. So uh, I I do appreciate all of the uh, all the time you gave us when you were. 
trying to break stories in between hits. That's all good. It's been fun. It's been fun. All right. Pete Nakos, he's relaxing now. This is Pete relaxed. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Okay. We're joined now by Tom Caker to the Hawkeye Report. Big day in Iowa Big City, day. Tom. Big day. You have you guys have been waiting since October 30th to find yeah. out who will run Iowa's offense going forward. And the answer is now known. It is former I Western Michigan coach and one-time great Broncos, Western Michigan Broncos, quarterback Tim Lester. Yep. Tim Lester. Um, yeah, I jokingly said that I was waiting for some uh, the puff of white smoke, like when you uh, elect a pope from outside yes. the Iowa football complex, that there had been a new offensive coordinator elected. And it's Tim Lester, and um, it hasn't gone over what I would say great. I think the <laughs> Iowa fans are kind of underwhelmed by the hire. Um, he was let go by Western Michigan at the end of the 2022 season. Mm -hmm. uh, this last year, he was an analyst uh, at uh, for Green Bay. Um, kind of fun fact, when, um, when Lester was the quarterback there early in his career, his backup quarterback was Matt LaFleur. So wow. that's kind of kind of the connection there. So that's that's how they kind of know each other. So he ends up at Green Bay. Um, he had been a um, an OC at Syracuse in the mid 2010s, like 2014, 2015. Took over in the middle of 14 with one of the worst offenses in college football. And the next year, he did improve it. It went from the worst offense in college football to just kind of an offense in college football uh, improved it by 10 points what, a game. One of college football's so, offenses. Yes. 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 To like to 25 points a game instead of 15. So, um, you know, he's, you know, he's a quarterback too, which I think I would needed a quarterback coach, a legit quarterback coach. So that's big. Well, and that's, that is the interesting thing. So people are going to look at that last year at Western Michigan and it was bad. Now he was playing freshman at quarterback. Uh, they were, I think 124th in yards per play, uh, in, in the country, but I will say the year before they were 28th in yards per play in the whole country. So it's not like he hasn't had success as an offensive coordinator, but the quarterbacks coach part, I find very interesting because uh, I don't know that the average person is aware of who has been coaching quarterbacks the last <laughs> few years at Iowa. Uh, it was Brian Ferentz, who is by trade an offensive line coach. Yes. Yeah, he's an offensive line coach. They did have John Budmeyer around as kind of a, one of those analysts slash coach thing. I, I think they call them assistant to the head coach or something. Um, <laughs> assistant to the regional manager, yes. Yeah, assistant to the regional manager. So he was kind of helping out. He was a quarterback coach by trade at Wisconsin and um, was at Colorado State for a year. I think Bud Myers are actually going to end up being their wide receivers coach because they let Kelton Copeland go uh, at the end of the season. But uh, to me, they've actually got an actual living, breathing quarterback coach coaching that along with being the offensive coordinator. And I think that's a positive development um, because I, I think Tim Lester has been a pretty good quarterback coach. So, um, you know, not NFL guys, but he's done well in, you know, you talked about that last year at Western, but in those, you know, three of the four years, we won't count the COVID year where they averaged 41 points a game against Mac teams, but those three other years, it was 32, 33 points per game and over 400 yards of total offense every year. Uh, so that's, 
to me, that tells me he's got a big, good offensive repertoire that he can go to. Yeah, when he had Caleb Ellaby as a sophomore, yeah. he averaged nine yards per attempt, which is something Iowa hasn't sniffed in quite some time. No. So that no. would be that would be the the hope. And you got you know Cade McNamara coming back, and that's that's the thing I wonder is how much of what happened last year was you know obviously losing Eric Allhurt, but losing Cade McNamara when they did. I think they had a lot of plans that just like Deacon Hill was not built no. to run a. a good passing offense, which again, that's also the fault of Iowa's coaches for not having a capable backup. Yep. Yep. They, they shot for the groceries too. And, um, and they did not have, um, uh, that's going to be one of the things to watch this spring. Andy, I think is uh, because Cade McNamara is going to be out. He's coming back from an ACL tear. So, you know, he's at seven on seven at best, but I don't even know that they'll do a lot with him out there, but, um, You've got a battle between Deacon Hill and Marco Lanez to be the backup. And if you can't find a back, or if you can't feel comfortable with Deacon Hill, and I, I've suggested they just go to Lanez for the backup position during spring ball and give him all the one reps because see if what you've got there, because you know what you have with Deacon Hill. You absolutely do yeah. with nine games of experience. You know what he's capable of doing. So and then if you're not comfortable with what you have at quarterback, I think in the spring, you look in the portal and you see what's there and see if you can find a backup or even somebody who can uh, push Cade McNamara a little bit, because let's be honest, Cade McNamara has been out basically the last two years with the exception of seven games in the last two seasons. Tom, is there no one who can go to Kirk Ferentz and say, Hey, do you remember Brad Banks and how good he was? Yeah. Maybe try to yeah, find I somebody who, Kind of like that, who can run around and throw. I mean, and CJ Beathard, yeah. to a lesser extent, did that. could he run. Did that. But yeah, yeah. And, and it was a very good offense under, you know, with CJ Beathard running it. Like, I don't understand why. It, is it because they can't get someone who knows how to run or they choose not to? I think it's more of a, a, a choice, although they do have some guys coming in. I mean, Lanez is pretty mobile. You saw him running around a lot in the uh, in the Citrus Bowl if you stuck till the end of that game. And and God bless you if you did. Uh, but <laughs> he can move around uh, a little bit. And then um, a guy coming in, James Reese, don't expect him to play, but he's a guy who's run like a 10-600. So yeah. he's a guy who can come in and maybe, maybe uh, has that mobility. But again, True freshman, really raw. Don't think he can come in and help him this year. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's it's going to be an NFL style offense. That's part yeah. of you know it, it'll be Kirk Ferentz's offense, and you know a guy who just worked with Jordan Love in Green Bay, I would think would be pretty helpful in that respect. But it is also going to be a, a, a you're right, a difficult offense for a young guy to come in and, and just pick up right away. Here's one of the things that with Lester, though, if you look back at his Western teams, they run a lot of RPO sets and they're in the gun a yeah. lot and, and do a lot of those different things. Is Kirk going to be willing to do that? He's been kind of resistant to do the RPO stuff on a regular basis and kind of sit there in the shotgun and, and kind of deal that way. It's just not been something he's been interested in. Will he do that now? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think that's the, the the biggest question is is how much is he willing to cede control? How much is he willing to yep. to change what they do? Because look, Phil Parker's still there. Let, let's be perfectly honest. It, it, Iowa's defense can be good as long as he's there. So you don't have yep. to be perfect 
offensively to still win a bunch of games. But I do wonder, Tom, like how much does the the end of divisions in the Big Ten change the math on this a little bit? Because it's not about being better than Nebraska, Illinois, Purdue, you know, anymore in Minnesota. It's it's about you you got to be third or third best, really, if you want to make the playoff. Yeah. And you've got more competition for that because you've got, you know, Michigan, Oregon, Ohio State, Washington. Penn State, yeah. Oregon, Washington, yeah. USC. Um, you know, you've got some heavyweights that are coming at you uh, from all all different corners. So um, and you've got, you know, teams that are going to be um, on, on the rise. Maybe, you know, you get uh, a new regime at Michigan State. Are they, you know, come back and try and get in that race? Um, you know, Purdue, are they going to rise? You, you've got a lot, Illinois, Brett Bielema, you got Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a lot of competition there for that. You know, I don't know that anybody's going to compete with Michigan or Ohio State right out of the gate, but you're going to have some competition there. Yeah, it's, it, it's going to be very interesting to see because, uh, you know, your your fan base, they they understand. The message boards we see, and, and it's it's interesting because it's it's a group that is – kind of just developed a really dark sense of humor about all of this yes. more than anything yeah. else. Gall like not, gallows humor. They've got gallows yeah, They're not humor. even mad anymore. Like no. what would it, what would the Iowa fan base do if Iowa had a, a, an efficient, I don't even want to say fun. I just want to say efficient offense that scored, you know, mid twenties a game and kept the ball a little bit. Does that guy become the front runner to take over for Kirk Ferentz? Ooh, who's going to be sixty nine? Who who's going to be sixty nine years old in August? Um, you know, if a guy comes in and puts some uh, lights up the scoreboard a little bit, who knows? Um, you know, Beth gets the new AD. I don't know what her agenda is going to be in terms of hiring people, but um, it's something that you think about. You have to think about as an offensive coordinator, and that's why I wondered if. They might attract somebody, uh, you know, kind of out of the norm because they might say, mm. hey, if I come here and I do really well because um, the bar is so low right now for a good offense, maybe I could become the next head coach at the University of Iowa, Big Ten school. And and the Big Ten jobs now, Andy, as you know, are are like a golden ticket. I mean, it's the Big Highly Ten SEC covered. and that's it. Yeah. 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 And that, that's interesting. Now, let me this is something that. I think you probably answer a lot, but for for a more national audience, why not Phil Parker as as the head coach? He's clearly yeah. the best defensive coach maybe there ever was, and probably should be paid ten million dollars a year. Yeah, um, don't know that he really wants to do it. He's kind of told me before, you know, just in interviews that he's really not all that interested in being a head coach. Now, I'll tell you who might be a future head coach. There's Two guys on staff. One of them that uh, kind of a fan favorite right now is probably Lamar Woods, Woods who's a, yeah. the special teams uh, coordinator, who is really well well thought of in the industry. I know, uh, I believe Nick Saban tried to hire him a couple years ago uh, to come down to Alabama, and then also Seth Wallace, who has taken on the title now of assistant head coach uh, and linebackers coach. He was the uh, assistant defensive coordinator. Uh, before again, creating titles so you can give guys more money so they stay. Uh, but he's he's a dynamite coach, dynamite recruiter. Um, and you know, if Phil Parker ever left or retired, Seth Wallace would be Iowa's DC tomorrow. 
I, I am very intrigued to see how this happens because you may be right. Like if anybody ever did unlock the Iowa offense and figure out how to make it work, the world will beat a path to your door. I mean, that is. Or that they're going to get a head coaching I, job somewhere that next year, right? Somebody's going to yes, come. Yes, one hundred percent. If you can fix this, you're a head coach somewhere next week. Exactly. So I am in Mobile, Alabama, Tom, and I am going to see a gentleman who has been very important to Iowa football for the last few years, and that, of course, is Tory Taylor, the punter. Yeah. And I got to ask you, one, what do I need to ask him? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, I think ask him about the punting is winning shirts because those were such a cool thing. I thought that was just such a novel, um, uh, a novel thing that he did, and did it for charity too, to uh, yeah. to give back to uh, a, a, a charity that helps young uh, young families that you know in, in need and um, and and people helping people out. So I, I would say that might be something to ask him about the t-shirts and and. Um, his first, um, his first, it's so wild. I remember this like it was like it was yesterday. First game punting was in front of no one. It was during the COVID year at oh, Purdue. Yeah, and there was right. nobody there. And just what that must have been like for him. That's his first college football game he's ever seen was that he played in. So, and it was, <laughs> right. there was kinda, no one there. Broke, broke in without... 85,000 screaming fans and then got used to that. Yeah. So the next question though, how do they replace him? They've got an Australian, Reese Dock. Another Australian uh, who, right in the pipeline. Who who uh and so here's a cool story. So we're down at the bowl game and we're waiting to talk to players. It was uh me and Scott Doctorman, your, your our mutual friend and Chad Lysko from the register and, and um I think John Steppy from the Gazette and we're just kind of standing there and this guy walks out and um we thought maybe he was he was reese and he goes no i'm mckenzie and it was tory taylor's coach who coaches reese actually too and so we got <laughs> to talk to him and he said reese has a chance to be better than tory taylor whoa that is yeah. he goes, that is he goes he's got a bigger leg yeah he said he's got a bigger leg so um yeah so it, it pays to be there early and and Ask people if they're Reese or not, uh, you know, <laughs> when they're walking out of practice. How do you know? Are they just holding Vegemite? Like, how do you know someone's Australian? I, I don't know. We just saw this guy uh, walking by and he kind of looked like him, but he wasn't. And then we just, uh, I think he talked to somebody and we heard an Australian accent. And so we're like, maybe it is. So it was fun. Well, I'm going to throw another shrimp on the barbie. Get ready to interview Tori Taylor there we go. here in Mobile. Tom, thank you so much. Enjoy covering an offense that you now know who's in charge of. Yeah, be exciting. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, you're radiating excitement right now, Tom. Thank you so much. <laughs>